I'm Dr. Terry Fisher, a physician and voice technology futurist. Voice First Technology is rapidly becoming the operating system of our lives, and it will completely revolutionize the way we experience healthcare. Let's talk voice. Voice First Health. The future of health is voice. Hello there, and welcome to episode number nine. If you know Dr. Matt Sabolsky, then you know that you are in for a treat today. He is a behavioral economist, and he is a leader, a pioneer when it comes to voice first technology and healthcare. Today, he comes on the podcast, and we talk about his background, of course, and we also talk about what are the elements that go into creating a good voice first experience that is going to lend itself to help someone to change their behaviors, particularly, of course, within the healthcare field. I had the opportunity to share a stage with him at the recent Voice First Health Summit, and it was a pleasure to hear him speak, and he spoke about something very interesting, storytelling, and how that can be used to engage a healthcare consumer and help them to make behavioral changes, and we get into that in today's talk as well. We also talk a little bit about some of the work that he is doing, and a very interesting uh, type of area, which didn't strike me initially as being quite relevant to the voice first health space. But of course, when I thought about it, it does entirely. And that's work with veterinarians and how a person's emotional connection to a pet can be a perfect use case for having a voice interaction in terms of how they how they manage their pet's health and how that affects their own health in turn. So we get into some very, very interesting topics here. So I hope you will enjoy this episode. Uh, without any further ado, let's bring on Dr. Matt Sabolsky. Hey, Matt. Well, welcome to the Voice First Health podcast. It's great to have you on. How are you doing this evening? Pretty good, Terry. Uh, calling you from uh, the peanut farm down here in Alabama. It's wonderful, and I don't know if the listeners can hear this, but I certainly can. You can hear some uh, some sounds in the background, some some frogs, I believe. What do, what do you have going on there? Who's who's keeping you company out there? <laughs> well, uh, tens of thousands, if not more, of uh, tree frogs that live right over the wood fence from where I'm standing. Uh, at nighttime in the south, when it starts to cool off, I like to go out and take some walks because I'm not dying of heat. But it's great to be here, Terry. Thanks for having me on your show. That's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So um, as some of the listeners will know, I've had you previously on the Alexa in Canada show. And with your background, you, of course, are the perfect guest to have on the Voice First Health show. And I want to teach the listeners and I want to learn a lot from you because you're an expert in this field. And why don't we start off with just getting some of your background because you've got a very unique background and take on Voice First Health. Yeah, so I feel as if uh, my entire uh, career has been unique and a little bit uh Different, but I think when you hop into uh, the expanding circle of a new technology and how to apply it, it takes unique people to do it. So I'm happy to be involved in the field. Uh, I uh, started out my career um, with too many master's degrees and ended up, <laughs> I had three, and then I ended up uh, in healthcare finance with a fantastic company out of uh, Texas, uh, Tenet Healthcare. Uh, and um, while I was doing some work for them, I was living in the South Carolina area. Uh, they had uh, assumed some extra hospitals there. And uh, all of these folks on Hilton Head Island that I uh, was interacting with when they had uh, bills due didn't understand their bills, their EOB, which is in the U.S., the explanation of benefit from the insurance company. Mm-hmm. And these were retired executives. And I thought uh, there's got to be a better way to communicate with them 
so that they're not dissatisfied and also we get our money faster and and or uh, they don't end up in, uh, you know, a credit status where they're in bad debt and getting their credit dinged. So I called the senior vice president and said, there's this thing called behavioral economics. I want to get this PhD. I want to use your data and I want to redesign everything that we send towards patients. And before the end of the call, yeah, before the end of the call, he said, go do it. So then I did it and uh, ended up um, with some really good experience at uh, UAB Medical School in Birmingham, working with a really good team of uh, open-minded, patient, uh, very skilled surgeons and clinicians. Before I knew it, Big Four Consultancy was knocking on my door and my loans were whispering in my ear. And I left the medical, yeah, I left the medical school to pursue um, the business world and sort of leverage my understanding of human influence and persuasion upon multiple healthcare centers across the United States with a really uh, large uh, Big Four consultancy. Uh, took as much as I could take of that uh, before I said, I'm tired of doing the data and the PowerPoints and I want to really do some work with the patient and the provider. And that's where you find me now. I uh, basically work uh, for myself and several others have joined me as partners. Uh, we call ourselves Ionia, which is a former Greek Ionia state of uh, scholar warriors. And uh, we focus on everything that has to do with the nexus of patient and provider. And I found myself fascinated by voice health, uh, sorry, voice uh, tech and voice first technologies and how to apply that and uh, make healthcare better and connect patients 5,000 hours of the year. They're not in the doctor's office so that we can get better outcomes. And it's been a fascinating journey so far. I've been able to run into you. Um, our podcast, The Voice of Healthcare, has been featured and is now riding on the number 11 podcast network in the world, which I think you feature on too, Voice First FM. And, and uh, the Alexa conference, as well as the Harvard conference we had in the name of those podcasts have taken off. And uh, it is a good place to be right now. Terry, I know you're enjoying yourself too. Yeah, it's an, it's an, it's an incredible area to be in right now. I was uh, I was you know browsing through your website before the call and you've got this great quote and I wonder if you can maybe explain a little bit. I'm just going to read it out because I've got your website here in front of me. It says, "Ionia's techniques sure. move past the lazy, dangerous ideology of carrots and sticks to strengthen businesses, solve a lot of problems, and transform care delivery." What does that mean to you? Yeah, so uh, that's an adaptation from uh, another behavioral economist. Um, and what's unique about that quote is while I was in doctoral candidacy, it became really clear to me from the research I was reading uh, in behavioral economics and social psychology um, that you know people didn't really respond well long term to being punished or given rewards, but they responded more to internal motivation, emotional connectivity, comparisons to others. Uh, and, you know, social proofs of the tribe that they think that they involve themselves with than anything else that involves money, food, sex, cars, you name it. Um, and I think a lot of healthcare, when it comes to getting people to modify their behavior, has had it wrong for a really, really long time. Um, you know, what I call terror management theory of saying to somebody, if you don't do X, you die. Uh, works for about 24 hours, uh, and then you can slide that bowl of M&Ms across to them, 
or you can slide that six pack across to them, or you can say, you don't have to work out anymore if you don't want to. Uh, no more physical exercise or no more hygiene. Just be lazy. Don't floss. Don't brush your teeth. And uh, people will just go back into their habits. So the point is reframing how we think we take care of people in medicine uh, is everything as far as getting sustainability and what I would call um, sort of uh, sea changes in how we get the populace and the community and the people that need healthcare to benefit the most from it. Cool. No, that's great. And so let's, I want to dive into that a little bit so more specifically with healthcare. So how do we, how do we change behavior? And let's tie this into voice first as well. How do we change behaviors, uh, whether it be, you know, the, the patient or whether it be the care provider or anybody involved in the healthcare system? How do we change those behaviors in such a way that is effective and it ties in voice first? What is voice first allowing us to do uh, to, to create effective behavioral change patterns? Well, the first thing I'll say, and I'll borrow from a literary hero of mine, Malcolm Gladwell, and say that it has nothing to do with just one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just like one perfect sauce that we all love for spaghetti. You know, it's the five or six different choices of the pregos and the ragus and the velastic pickles that give us true satisfaction and change. The same is true for behavioral modification. Uh, there's not just one effect. There's just not one way forward. There's multiple sort of layered uh, interventions we can add towards the way we interact with the patient that gets them into a place that they're able to make the changes they need as well as sustain it by reducing the effort and giving them something to motivate with besides something material. It's an internal motivation that we can uh, connect with. Now, for me, uh, my, my fascination, my hope, my dream, whether I make it doing this or if I end up making this just an interesting merit badge of time in my life Mm -hmm. is that voice first tech can connect to people all the time. Mm -hmm. And if we have the right tools, if we have the right platform, we built that in and we can figure out what makes this person tick. If they're diabetic, if they have COPD, if they have CHF, um, if they have anxiety and depression, we can be with them all the time. What does that do? Well, we're creating a system around them. We're basically taking Terry Mm -hmm. or a mom or a loved one or somebody that thinks they're connected to someone just like them, i.e. the movie, uh, you know, her, where there was this idea that this guy had sort of a girlfriend and she was with him all the time. And it was so convincing. Right. The same can be said about voice tech. It isn't the one universal, but it is an instrument and a tool that we can place a patient within that basically connects the physician, i.e. the Terry's, with that person more than just being in your office when you say, hey, I don't just do this because I can bill you. I do it because I give a crap about you and the idea that you have a life and a community of people you're connected to. That resonates when they're in your office, but then they leave. And when they leave, we lose them. Voice by mobile and voice by smart speaker reduces that distance and increases the connectivity. So I think that's what's so unique to me about voice first and why it's truly the harbinger of behavioral modification in a sustainable way. Right, right. And then when you when you start imagining these interactions that people are having with their voice devices, um, I know that you've spoken about the importance of storytelling. And I imagine 
voice technology is a, a tremendous platform to be able to leverage that that ability to tell a good story. Can you comment a little bit about on that and how that impacts health? Yes, uh, I'd love to. And for your listeners' sake, I'm going to try and not turn into a Carl Sagan short story moment because I am not Carl Sagan and I can't compare myself to him. But the point is I want to keep this tangible for your audience. Yes. But the story that I told at Harvard Medical School, I think you're referencing the presentation I gave there. Correct. Which had a lot – yeah, I had a lot to do with what my hypothesis is for connecting people to voice speakers. Um, I was on a call earlier today and I made the comment that I heard from a mentor of mine and it's not particularly um, wholesome. So if there are children listening, you might want to put it on mute. But the quote went something like this, you know, birth control doesn't work when it's in the drawer. Right. Uh, you can have the tool, you can have the drug, you can have the instrument, i.e. the smart speaker or the mobile assistant on the phone. But if a patient is using it, it's worthless. I see this all the time. I mean, one of the most and scary statistics I heard was from Kevin Fulp at UPenn. Uh, when I was um, at a uh, conference with him or in the audience, rather, he was speaking. And uh, the statistic went like this. Uh, uh, patients upon follow-up after their initial uh, myocardial infarction, which is a, a clogged artery in the heart for um, non-clinicians there, um, is uh, the compliance for taking your statins and your beta blockers and your aspirins after that, when you've had the attack and you've been discharged from the hospital, is less than 40% hmm. U.S. Uh, if you can get people up to a higher level, they succeed. And he did a small experiment using Bluetooth caps on pharmaceuticals uh, and increased compliance to 90% by pinging people through their phones. Well, the same can be said with, uh, you know, voice tech. So if I were to say to a patient when they went home, I'm going to give you this Echo Dot, I'm going to give you this Google Assistant, I'm going to give you this tool from Houndify, from Pullstring, from Orbita, whoever it is. Um, and I just, I just want you to plug it in when you get home. It's tied into your cell phone and it's going to do some things and you can listen to music on it and do whatever. Uh, and then you're going to interact with it. The point being, if we believe, which I do, that internal motivation is what truly makes change in long term, you have to be able to create a line, a linear narrative where a patient can see he or herself inside of that narrative as a player that's relevant to them, where there's a world around them that can connect to them emotionally. Now, there are many, many steps psychologically that takes me from voice tech, you have to be able to figure out a way to use it, to an emotional integration that involves a story. The point is, I don't have rigor background to say this is absolutely the case for us with the storytelling. But what I can tell you is there are really more uh, um accomplished, published authors than I, Dan Siegel being one of them. Um, there's some other sort of pop psychology folks, but also some real academic psychologists who have sort of talked about this, that integrating someone emotionally into a story optimizes learning, optimizes retention, can accelerate healing because there's this sense of uh, identity as well as connectivity. We are pro-social animals. Um, and therefore, we get a little bit of this regulation, we get a little bit more of this self-control, we get a little bit more of an emotional sort of stability. Uh, you know, a secondary diagnosis, as you know, Terry, to any chronic condition is depression. Uh, 
Also, there are some other side effects to um, diseases that require a lot of maintenance and compliance that reduce our ability to remember or be disciplined or get up on time or go to bed on time or eat the right things and don't ingest the salt and drink less alcohol. Um, the idea that we could create a narrative through a speaker or an assistant that's talking to us means I don't ignore it. It means that I interact with it. And for me, the narrative hypothesis I was given about putting a person, a patient, uh, into a story was the idea that that birth control doesn't stay in the drawer, that the beta blocker gets used, that the alcohol doesn't get purchased. Uh, these are the things that can create real change. Um, so it, for some, it may seem way too liberal uh, on, the, uh, on the side of real clinical science, uh, but I think that we can't dissociate uh, the real analytical clinical intervention that we've created through something as um, you know granular as a pharmaceutical to what is the mental state and mental identity and vision of the patient that we're trying to make better and what's their role in it. It's just not enough to see them as fast as you can write the scripts and say, don't do this, you'll die. Mm -hmm. It works for a few hours and makes them feel terrible. Uh, very few people respond to that as being like, you know, their rock bottom that they could say, totally changed their future and they changed how they took care of themselves and now they're all better. Um, the point being, uh, voice speakers, voice first speakers, voice tech, uh, care assistants on mobile phones, the way we choose to design them ought to be inside of that concept of a narrative. Right. The call to action, I, the call to action I really have is for everyone in this space to think about it differently than what we did with the screen. Even with mobile, it requires us to go towards it mm -hmm. with will right? But right. we want something more immersive. Mm -hmm. This is the real opportunity. And I think this is to me, uh, it's not the one universal, but it's the one differentiator that voice brings to the tech world that I think can really get us over that hump from will to um, sort of uh, internal motivation um, around the patient relative to the patient, their financial class, their gender, their race, their sexuality, their religion, their age, everything can be incorporated into that in really intelligent ways. If we get the right storytellers designing these tools alongside the programmers and alongside the clinicians, and let's get the patients in the room. Yeah. You know, you and I were really yeah. fortunate to um, hear a story in Harvard from uh, Nate Trelor of Orbita. And the story there I've told a few times, and it's, it's kind of a tearjerker. Uh, the distillation of the story is, they wanted to create a tool that helped people in hospice or palliative care. Right. Um, someone said, hey, at, at some point, we should probably get someone who's got terminal illness to come in here and tell us what they want. And so they're thinking, oh, super complex and really deep. Well, no, it was, it was something as simple as I don't want to die alone and I'm afraid of dying alone. And music, if you could get a playlist playing for me, if I just said play my playlist – could play songs that meant something to me that evoked memories of people I loved or moments that mattered to me. Right. Uh, that, that ripped me to shreds one, because it was so relevant, yep. I guess, because I think we've all heard a sound or a smell that brought us back to childhood or to a lover or a spouse or a child or a memory that mattered to you. Um, I think the point of that story that I'm trying to bring up is if we can create something like that alongside the patients with us. And we can say to them, 
what kind of narrative that we have here on a piece of paper uh, would you respond to? And would you say, I want to be a part of that? Uh, for Joaquin Phoenix in the movie Her, it was a love that he felt like he couldn't get. Right. I think that's the extreme, uh, the extreme uh, version of what I'm getting at. I think it might be as simple as someone not wanting a lettered, a, a man, a white guy of letters, telling them how to act and be without resentment. I think it could be as simple as that. Uh, it could be a story of someone else like them and, and the AI engine or the, the design we have says, hey, for your activity today, we want you to give this other character in the story with you uh, some direction on how to take care of their COPD because they have some exacerbation and we know that you know how to help them. Can you help them? Uh, small things like that over time um, can get someone to stop ignoring and being fatigued or intimidated uh, or turned off or bitter about the system, especially in the United States, and be able to do things through internal motivation to make themselves healthier and better, uh, which helps everyone and all ships rise. Um, nothing's more maddening than living in North America, knowing the system we have um, and seeing people struggle. The, the, the truth of the matter is, I think that voice tech can really get us to a place where more people can take care of themselves in the home without the exacerbation. Uh, but to do that, the narrative tool um, to me is paramount uh, to success. Right, right. No, that really, what can I say? Really well said. I totally agree with you. And I mean, you've said a couple things there that I want to touch on. One is that I think the voice first technology really lends itself to collaborating with uh, with writers and we don't really we haven't really seen that as much in other forms of technology where you know a creative writer somebody that's got some experience truly in in writing beautiful stories is working with a programmer and i think that's one of the really unique things now about about voice first and the other thing that you mentioned is that there's a real emotional connection that can occur when you're you're um when you're talking and you're listening to to these smart speakers and you mentioned something to me um, just before we started recording about some work that you're doing, some really interesting work, how it ties into the, the emotional connection that a person can have with their pets. And can you talk a little bit about that oh, work yeah. that you're doing? Because that's really fascinating. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know what it is about life, Terry, but sometimes you find yourselves in these scenarios and you scratch your head and you hear in the distance the talking head song. Uh <laughs> Uh, as the days go by, you know, I think that's the title of the song. I don't remember exactly, but you think to yourself, uh, is this my life? How did I get here? Yeah. Uh, so I've been focused for a long time in allopathic medicine, human healthcare. Um, fascinated by, I grew up with it. Um, the community I grew up in, that's all people did. It seemed was uh, work in healthcare and ancillary, uh, industries. And if you think about the GDP of the United States, that's not that so far fetched. 20% of the GDP is, healthcare related work. So that's one in five adults. Um, it makes sense that I would be around it, but, um, I ended up getting contacted by a group of folks who's doing some work with a, and I can't tell the, tell the name of the client, but a, a large veterinary company. Hmm. Uh, this is a, yeah, publicly traded, uh, veterinary company. And, um, they were really curious about, um, you know, how they, how the vet practice of the future, uh, affects, uh, veterinary care. And so they reached out to me and I've been speaking to them about a few things, but uh, one of the things that comes up a lot is uh, 
voice first technologies in veterinary care. And one of the advantages of veterinarians, which I don't know if any veterinarians really know this, is the the lack of bureaucracy in comparison to uh, human healthcare. They can just try anything. Yeah, it's yeah. it's you know just about. I mean, outside of harm, uh, and they still have their IRBs and things, but they can try a whole lot of stuff. Well, we started talking about what does it mean to be a connected pet owner, and then we started talking even more deeply about veterinarians as this sort of like proxy to human healthcare by taking care of pets and keeping them around and healthy and well is somewhat of like a stabilizer for communities and families and with their own health. I mean, we think about, uh, you know, prescription for therapeutic animals, the symbiosis of companion animals throughout the millennia is a real thing. Uh, passive monitoring of patients in the home, reminders to uh, the pet owners about uh, various administrations of drugs or food uh, qualifications or if they have kidney issues, uh, fluid restriction, um, all of those things can be utilized in the home as well as in the practice. So veterinarians uh, are notorious for, um, just like uh, physicians, struggling after a heavy debt load of education uh, but they don't seem to have the same sort of uh, horizon financially. So something like uh, Voice First Tech can really help them reach more people, more more pets, uh, and do so at a greater scale. Oh, excuse me, that's the the farm dog. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, one of them. Yeah. yeah so uh, the I have great excitement with um, the future of veterinary uh, applications of Voice Tech. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about the work they're doing. I mean, imagine, um, what you could do with that as far as wearables in combination with voice tools in the practice, as well as in the home itself. It's pretty exciting stuff. Wow. Yeah, no, that's great. And that just sort of scratches the surface of what you're up to. I know, um, for the sake of time here, I, I think we might have to cut it here and have you back another another time. You're, 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 I mean, it's fascinating to talk to you. It's it, you've always <laughs> you're always up to such really unique and you've got such really uh, interesting perspectives on on healthcare and behavior and and of course with voice voice first tech. So, wow, Matt, um, we covered a lot and uh, still there's so much more we could talk about. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Where where can the listeners go to learn more about what you're up to and how to how best can they contact you? Yeah, so they can go to my website, ionia.co, I-O-N-I-A.co. Uh, I also have a Patreon account, um, and they can follow me on Twitter at Matt Sobolski. Just do a little quick search for Sobolski if you can spell it, and you'll find me. Awesome, and I'll be sure to put links to all that stuff on the show notes page on the website. So, hey, Matt, again, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, I've now had the chance to meet you in person over at Voice of Healthcare Summit. Uh, and, and a quick shout-out to you and to... Um, Bradley Metrock for uh, for for your podcast, Voice of Healthcare podcast. I, as I said uh, at, at the summit, you guys are the pioneers in the uh, in the podcasting space with the Voice First Health uh, niche, if you want to call it that. And uh, so you guys are you guys are doing some great work as well. And uh, keep it up. Well, thank you, Terry. The pleasure is all mine. It's really fantastic to be connected to you, even though you're so far away from me geographically. I feel like we're right next to each other because of voice tech tools. That's right. That's right. Well, great, Matt. We're going to stay in touch, and uh, perhaps we're going to have you on again at some point here in the in the future. Count on it, Terry. Thank you, sir. All right. You're welcome. Have a good night.
Hey, well, there you have it, huh? Pretty cool uh, ideas that Matt has. I love it. Uh, Matt's really a pioneer in this area in terms of the uh, voice for space and, of course, when it comes to behavioral changes and all that is involved with that. As usual, the links that Matt mentioned in this uh, podcast episode are going to be listed on the show notes page, which can be found at voicefirsthealth.com slash nine, as can you find all the other prior um, podcast episodes. They're all on the website at voicefirsthealth.com. If you haven't subscribed, please make sure to do so because we've got some other incredible uh, guests coming up in the next little while. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to leave a review and you do feel so inclined to leave a review for the podcast, Uh, that's very much appreciated. It does help the podcast to be found by other people in the space who may get a lot of value out of the podcast. And you can do that through any of the uh, major podcast players, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. So once again, hey Matt, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. As always, it's a pleasure speaking with you. And next week, I look forward to bringing another fantastic guest to the podcast. Take care, everybody. And again, the show notes are at voicefirsthealth.com slash nine.